everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Nick Shaw from home.llc. Hello, Nick. How are you? And thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Sean. How's it going? Going very well. I'm super excited to kind of tell your story, but before I do that, no one will tell your background uh, better than you will. So that'd be kind of a great place to start so that our listeners can learn a little bit more about you. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was born and raised in India and came to the U.S. for grad school. And my background is mostly in management consulting and corporate venture capital before I launched uh, my current startup. You know, I was an entrepreneur since a long time. I sold my first startup a few months before I turned 18. And uh, even in management consulting, I eventually built their corporate venture capital arm, which invested in startups, built new startups, and really thought about, you know, where the next frontier of innovation was going to come from. Sounds like a lot of experience that's probably helped you with what you're doing now. But uh, inevitably, sounds like you found yourself kind of back there, which uh, I've had similar experience as well, too. So uh, it brings us, it keeps bringing us back, right? <laughs> so, uh, let's talk more about it. If you wouldn't mind, give our listeners a little bit more of an overview of what home.llc is. Yeah, Sean. So as you know, you know, there are millions of people across the country who already have enough income to easily own a home, but don't have enough savings to buy it in the first place. And we know they have enough income because they're all paying their landlord's mortgage today. Not just the landlord's mortgage, but, but taxes and fees and maintenance and even profit on top of it, right? So if they can afford to pay their landlord's mortgage and so much more, why shouldn't they pay off their own? Um, the only constraint these people have is not have enough savings to get a good loan. Uh, and that's where we come in and help, right? So if you have as low as 5% down, we can invest 15% to help you reach 20. So you can just borrow 80% from the bank, get a mortgage, buy your home, achieve your American dream, and you know start paying off your mortgage so you can start building wealth. The money we give you is not a loan. It's an investment. So you don't pay us any monthly payments on it. There is no interest rate. If your home appreciates, uh, we share a portion of the appreciation when you sell. If it loses value, we share a portion too. So you win by paying off your mortgage, no matter whether we win as well. But if you win in the appreciation, we win along with you. So it's a true win-win. Yeah, that mutually beneficial aspect to kind of the experience for your product is is one that I think a lot of companies hope to achieve, but not a, a whole lot have figured out a way to kind of really offer it as effectively as you have here. And given the nature of how crazy the real estate market has been in recent years and how uh, quickly it has gone up, uh, like even before the pandemic, I imagine you guys are staying pretty busy. So what does what distraction and demand for what you guys are doing look like at the moment? Yeah, demand's incredible. Uh, by the end of this quarter, we are nearing a billion dollar wait list. So demand is wow. Yeah, that's intense. How quickly did you guys get there from when you first started doing it? So that would be, I I believe that would be month 24. So just in two years, that's a billion dollar wait list. And most of that, uh, about half of that is organic. People who found out about us, about half of that, uh, half of that is marketing, but that is too with very little marketing spend. Like we haven't really bought billboards or news, you know, uh, or mailers or, or real marketing that we want to do. So, you know, there, there's an incredible, there are 110 million renters 
in the country. About one third of the US is renting right now. You know, for helping every thousand people buy a home, we need to raise a fresh hundred million dollars, right? So right now we are constrained mostly on our constant ability to raise more and more capital to service the needs of home buyers. Um, the market, the, the home buy market is incredibly large. I mean, the real estate market is massive. I mean, the total value of all the homes in the US is comparable to total value of all the stocks in the US. Yeah, I think one's at 35 trillion market cap and the other's like at 33 or something like that. But it's it's a comparable asset class to all the publicly listed companies. So it's a massive market. And we are just, you know, starting uh, out. We're still a very small player, and there'll be more, more players in this. It's unbelievably massive, and you know, there are fifty five hundred lenders in the country, but there are only one or two of us who help with down payment assistance like this. Sounds like pretty good numbers so far. Uh, well positioned, I should say. Yeah. Um, and I think what you mentioned in terms of like how quickly you grew to those significant numbers really speaks to hitting on a painful problem. Right, because people are really willing to take action to solve that problem in the way that you designed your value proposition, enabling you to grow as quickly as you have. The demand for something that is as important can only speak to you know solving a really critical problem, which I know is an area that we've talked about more before. Yeah, yeah, I think it brings back to first principles. You know, the fundamental um, pillar of every sustainable business model is solving a pain point that people are willing to pay for right if you don't solve a pain point it's just a hobby it's not a business yes it is (laughs) (laughs) and if people people are not willing to pay for it then it will continue to remain a free solution forever right like think about a password manager right Uh, or or there's so many solutions that that are that, that are you know, real pain points, but people are just not willing to pay for it. So yep. you have to hit both. And once you have them, you have a real business. The best pain points are the ones that are attached to one of the seven sins, right? Because there is such a primitive need uh, to achieve those. And most people think, you know, why is a Lamborghini, what is Lamborghini doing, right? Why, why is that solving a pain point? Or what is Hermes Birkin purse doing? And actually, that solves the pain point of vain glory. Now, how else do you express vanity without having a picture of a Lamborghini on your garage in your Instagram? Right. So it solves a real pain point. Like, how else do you express vanity uh, without those? So fundamental thesis in any business model that people are willing to pay for. I face the pain point of buying a home myself. I, my wife and I made enough income to easily afford a mortgage, but you know, savings uh, were for us, especially with student loans and you know all the other debt overhead that we had. So we had to uh, you know get money for our down payment, and not everyone has a rich friend or a rich family member, right? So why why couldn't I help millions of other people achieve home ownership and help them start building wealth? Yeah, this and I know this is one that we've we've connected over before as well too. In particular, the making sure that you're solving a real pain point where a lot of people that are that are conducting or competing in product or hoping to build a successful product business really struggle with this one because they chase something that they're passionate about, which, which you mentioned kind of speaks to the hobby element, right? There's There are things out there that could technically be considered problems, right? But in terms of whether or not you have what I refer to often as a problem worth solving is 
a big tangible element there and like tactical step is can you get beyond the the point where someone's actually willing to pay for your solution to solve the problem like that oven in itself is a form of validation. I don't think enough people realize that where like growth and traction in terms of what you're offering or what you're providing isn't enough. It needs to, in order to cross that threshold from you said hobby to business, not only does it need to be able to generate revenue, but you need to be able to generate profit, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's what a lot of startups get wrong. Just when they're trying to build a new app for something, they just think of it as a better solution to something else. But they don't really think from the lens of a consumer, right? Like, does the consumer really want want a better solution, right? If they don't, it's not worth building. (laughs) Right. I think the book uh, we discussed is a mom test explains this in a really good way, which is, don't ask for affirmations, ask for hard answers, right? Like, do you really want to buy this? Yes or no? No, do you, don't tell me you like it. Tell me you really want it or you need it. Uh, that's yep. the real test for a product. Well said. Yeah, we've had Rob on the show as well, too. Uh, he, Rob Fitzpatrick, the author of the mom test that you just mentioned. And uh, that that was probably one of the first books that I connected with really well that I think just does an excellent job of articulating how important this element is to what you might want to do in business with products to ensure that you're getting the right kind of data. Cause it's so easy to get bad data, right? Because we, we leverage at, you know, just naturally as people, like we fear getting the kind of information we don't want to hear, right? Like someone telling us that our baby is ugly. Nobody wants to hear that. Right. So as such, like we seek feedback from those that we feel are going to be the most protective <laughs> over our feelings whether it's conscious or subconscious, like wherever the disconnect is there, I'm not a developmental psychologist. So I can't be super articulate about exactly where it goes sideways there. But what I do know as a product strategist is that that information as misleading as it can be, can really thwart your progress in product. And you can, you can waste a lot of dev cycles. You can waste a lot of money. You can waste a lot of time working on something that ultimately is, doesn't really have the chance to become a business. So um, you need this data in order to really know. And uh, if you're not getting Absolutely. it, then the traction isn't there. And as such, you need to rethink uh, what you're working on. Yeah. And there are multiple versions of this theory. I think Rahul Vora, the founder of Superhuman said, yep. you know, there was, instead of using an NPS score, use a disappointment score, right? So ask, yes. your, ask your customers, how disappointed would they be if you stopped off product in a scale of, very disappointed somewhat and not affected just three options and if more than i believe 40 percent don't say very disappointed then you don't really have (laughs) (laughs) right you have a problem Uh, that you're talking about that superhuman article that uh is just a fantastic read definitely something i'll link to as part of this article as part of this podcast episode but in there as part of the story, if I'm remembering it correctly enough, like you said, that disappointment score, they focused on trying to like quantify product market fit because there's a lot of dialogue around it. And there's a lot, of, it's a very nebulous concept, right? People think of it as like a phase. Other people think of it as a destination. I happen to think it's more of a phase where you can be there, you can be out of there, that type of thing. And because like the product and the market are dynamic moving targets and you need to be tracking them, you know, at all times kind of, kind of thing. And only some you have control over, right? Your product, not so much the market. But that article was awesome from the perspective of how they took like the opposite approach and figuring out basically the concept was, if I'm remembering correctly, if we took the product away, how upset would you be? And then they That's measured, right. you know, just how like based on the feedback for surveying the users that access to the product, how upset would you be if you lost access to the product? Then you use that as a benchmark, which I thought was really an innovative way to try to measure product market fit. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Because he was trying to solve a problem that was already solved, right? Email yeah. was a solved problem. Like we never had an issue with Gmail, but he made us realize that there were issues there and he could solve those and it, he made it worth uh, getting revenue for. So yeah, very, uh, it's a great, great story of work, but it comes back to the same thesis, which is find real pain points and find people willing to pay money to solve them. Yes, super. Absolutely well said. Um, awesome. So talk to us more about Home LLC and like what's next uh, for you guys at the moment. I know you talked about accessing more capital. Uh, I'm curious. Oh, another question I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about as well, too, in terms of like, as I think through your value proposition, we're talking about home ownership and uh, potentially benefiting from the appreciation of those homes going up from an investment perspective and empowering folks to be able to participate in this and you know achieve their dreams and home, own homes and things like that. I think some of the listeners might be thinking that those transactions may take a very long time to materialize. So I'm curious to hear you talk about, uh, kind of probably before you talk about kind of next steps from here, what has performance been like so far in terms of have you had, like, what does the frequency of those transactions look like from the traction that you guys have experienced? Is that a concern of yours or have you seen uh, activity that you were like more activity than you were expecting? Absolutely. As, as we spoke about, the demand is incredible and we've already done quite a few transactions. And, uh, you know, most people, when they think about home ownership, they think about it as a forever thing, right? When people think of a home, the mistake they make is they think of it as a forever transaction versus, you know, up until a few years ago, the average tenure of a mortgage in the country used to be four and a half years. And that is averaged across rural and urban counties. So that includes, you know, Northern Montana and downtown Manhattan, right? And, and the rest of the country. So most people actually don't stay in, in their homes for that long. Um, in fact, they tend to exit out of their mortgages even sooner than that. Uh, despite that, you know, we have set a 10-year uh, horizon for people who want to use our capital in terms of returning it back to us, either by selling the home or by buying us out through a refinance, because we want it to be incredibly generous, right? Um, but actually, most of our transactions, uh, most people end up selling in three to five years or end up buying us out in that time period, right? Um, and, and even after they buy us out, they tend to sell the home in a year or two. So most people, first-time homeowners, super majority of them will statistically sell in the first seven years itself, right? So that is also a good data point when you're thinking about your own mortgage. Don't get a, if you are getting a cheaper 7-1 interest rate, it might be a better uh, mortgage for you than a 30-year fixed at a higher rate, right? Because chances are you will end up selling it uh, pretty soon you know think about a first home as soon as you move in your family size is going to change um, you you might have kids your parents might come stay with you your friends might come stay over more frequently and you know in three or five years it starts feeling smaller very very soon <laughs> and very soon you want to buy your next one uh, and in that time period you know things happen with your marital life too right you might uh, get separated or whatever else or, or things might happen with your career right you might not stay in the same city for more than five seven years you might want to move so so many things can happen like think about your life five to seven years ago and where you were so so many things can happen in the next five to seven years that it's it's you know that is the time frame most people should plan for uh, in terms of what's next for us it's basically in three areas you know one because demand is so high our number one uh, focus is just constantly raising more and more capital to help people with 
you know, for every thousand people, we need to raise a hundred more million. The market has 110 million renters, right? So at 10,000 home buyers, we would have to raise um, a lot of money, right? And that still would be like one hundredth of the market share, if my math is right, uh, or, or even less than that, actually one ten thousandth of the market share, or something like that. So it it would be insane. Good numbers, yeah. <laughs> The second focus is actually enabling people in the transaction as well. Uh, so there are three areas in which we want to enable them. We want to enable them select the right home. So we want to launch a score for every home in the country uh, by this year, so that any home you enter, we can tell you, you know, whether it's worthy of an investment or not. It's a mighty project, but hopefully we can get a large part of it done this year. The second is, you know, enabling them to pick the right people, the right lender, the right agent to help them with the transaction. And three is enabling them put the right offer on the home. Um, that's where we think an all cash offer is a really powerful intermediary where we can even help them buy their dream home by putting an all cash offer on their behalf and selling them at the same cost. So that's a second bucket of you know, new uh, areas we want to grow in. The third bucket is actually helping people buy investment properties. The product market fit there is incredible. I mean, that is one segment of our customer base that never stops calling us. They just want to buy investment properties with our capital and no matter what. And it's a no-brainer for them, right? They get much higher annual cash flow yield on a much lower investment while sharing pro data upside with us, right? So it's a no-brainer for them. Um, we want to think about how we launch that product, uh, particularly keeping in mind of our overall mission of actually helping people build wealth. Uh, and, you know, we don't want, renting should always be an option, but it should never be a compulsion. It has become a compulsion for a lot of people. And that's what we want to think about as we th think about launching a product for, to help people buy investment properties. Yeah, this is fantastic. There's a, there's a couple of things I would reinforce here for sure that you're doing, Nick, that uh, for our listeners, uh, they can really learn from what you've done here in that started out by solving the biggest, most painful problem first, right? And then getting hyper-specific about that problem, coming up with a solution that works for all parties involved, right? Helps it grow naturally and it solves a huge pain point. Then from there, after you're able, to, that, that's the first, that's the big like hurdle to get over, right? As in like laser focus on that. And then once you've got that, now you have a lot of, now you've got people coming to you, right? Whereas in the beginning, you need to go to them, right? You need to, it's like getting a train moving or getting a plane off the ground. Like exactly the hardest right. part is getting it moving, right? Like once it's moving, it's harder to stop. It requires yeah. less energy to keep it going than it does to actually stop it. So, and yeah. you've got that kind of momentum. So now you've already shared a number of really interesting possibilities where you can help the same folks with different problems, right? Because Everybody only has one problem, right? Everybody's got lots of problems. <laughs> like, what's the big problem? Like, what's the big problem? Like, where, what's the what's the most important problem to solve first, right? Yeah. That top problem, that problem worth solving is like, and if you do this in this right order, and this is what I want the listeners to really hyper focus on in terms of what you've done. You solve that big problem first. Now you've got people coming to you, and you've got a plethora of opportunity to just talk to them about what's next. Like, what else do you need help with? And you've already mentioned a couple very interesting value propositions, which you guys move the needle there as well too. Opportunity to solve additional significant pain points and generate a lot of value for your company. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, not only is this the right framework to think about building a new company, it's, it could be for anything, for your career, for your relationship, for anything, right? If you tackle the most difficult, most challenging problem that actually moves the needle first, everything else is really easy to fill. 
but if you start with really small incremental things, it becomes really hard, you know, to solve the big hairy problems afterwards, right? And sure. this is something we learned from uh, the the moonshot factory, Google X, right? And when they're trying to launch these really ambitious projects, they focus on the parts that seem basically impossible to do. And if they can solve them, they know they can figure out the rest and you know get everything in order to, to grow that exponential. Absolutely. Super well said. Is there any, what would your best advice be for folks looking to do something similar to what you've done in terms of getting started? Or if they're working on a product, you know, some of our listeners are working on products and just hasn't grown to the extent that they would like it to. They have some traction, but it's small, right? And like they need more momentum and they need to build more momentum based on your experience. You know, what's, what's the advice you'd have to them if you're speaking to them about what they can learn from what you've done to help supercharge their effort? Yeah, so I would say, the f- so if you had to arrange this in three pieces, the product, the distribution, and the engineering, the build of the product itself, whether it's functional engineering or active engineering, then I would put product as number one, right? Really, really obsess about your product and maybe call your first 10, 20, 50, 100,000 users to hear them tell you why they want to use the product, or why they need the product. You know, points where they say, I really need this are clearly features that you need to build out or core components that you need to build out, right? Once you have a product, then don't focus on engineering, focus on distribution first, right? Um, A lot of direct-to-consumer products, for example, can be sold before they're even procured, right? Drop shipping, for example. A lot of software products, similarly, you might feel like it's a massive engineering effort, but maybe try solving it with really simple tools first, right? Most products outside of really complex uh, ones can probably be solved using just the uh, Google open, open source, you know, Google Sheets, Google Docs. Exactly. <laughs> Google Google Yep. Right. Uh, and, you know, build a waitlist, build a demand, talk to them constantly, understand what they want. If they really need it and you have a better proposed solution than others, they'll wait. They'll honestly be there for you. Right. And use that to finally build engineering, right. Whether it's physical engineering or software engineering or even financial engineering to actually deliver the product uh, using the distribution channels. Right. It's, uh, I think I'd read it somewhere where first time founders focus on, you know, building direct to uh, like B2C products and focus on, you know, building them before they launch them. Second time or third time founders focus on finding the right distribution channels before they even think about the, the how to build the product. <laughs> That's amazing <laughs> and makes, uh, makes a ton of sense. <laughs> <laughs> distribution is incredibly important, right? How you're going to reach them, uh, where in, in the distribution channel you are and, you know, who your upstream or downstream partners will be. Um, yeah. It's always going to be easy to build downstream partnerships, right? Because they'll always need you. But focus on the upstream partnerships more than downstream partnerships, people who will flow their distribution channel to you. And if you are the top of the stream, if you are the source of the you know purse river per se, then focus on you know how you build an audience, right? And it can be a micro audience. Start with just a hundred people, maybe a subreddit or a Discord or Facebook group or just a Twitter list that loves what you're doing and is hyper obsessed about it, these can be your super vocal early customers that can't stop talking to you whenever they meet uh, their loved ones. And uh, soon that will scale and grow, right? So super well said and well organized into those three categories as well too. I love that you mentioned starting with product first, right? Through the discovery data, talking with real people, right? Focus on that qualitative data 
because you're just likely to miss something. Uh, like people have a tendency to try to skip over qualitative thinking they can get it quantitatively. You just can't. There's just so much nuance that you need to know, right? Like the 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 uh, a lot of the value is going to be in those details, right? In those early conversations. So, and then I love the fact that you you didn't that engineering is mentioned last, which I want to reinforce, right? Isn't like building is something that really you don't even need to think about in my opinion until it's almost determined for you right where it's like okay now we have to and we know exactly what that needs to be for that you're just so subject to making big mistakes building the wrong thing wasting a lot of time and money and uh the, the second element that you mentioned is once you get that some of that early stage traction is distribution right because yeah. it's like if you were going to reach great scale, how are you going to do that, right? Even before, again, before you start thinking about putting a product together, you can always build, right? You can build whatever you want, custom software. You can build literally anything that you want. But what is the problem that you're solving? Who are you solving that for? And then how are you going to reach the mass market here to gain the kind of traction if and when you have the product? I think a lot of people think that they need the product in order to do those things that don't, right? Like, like you said, the difference between the first-time founder and the second-time founder is quite different. Um, the reason I would say, and you probably would agree, that they've switched around the orientation of those steps, like the order, is because they recognize what their biggest painful uh, problem and challenge was to solve going through it the first time, right? And they're not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, you'll notice that I'm, I skipped out on a lot of things like forming a company, deciding what to name it, yep. you know, hiring a co-founder. All of these things are not important. You know, I, I, you know Home.LSE was first called FOHO future of home ownership. It was just a project name, right? And then we selected a Marinest and that sounded okay. And then DoFi, like down finance, and that was okay. And we finally one day came to me saying, you know, why not home.llc, right? Uh, but, you know, early customers don't care about what you name it. If you're solving a real pain point and just sending them a Google form to fill out, they will engage. <laughs> you, know, you don't need a perfectly designed website or, you know, a, a perfect name and all of those things, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the same with the co-founder. A lot of people think that, you know, because they're non-technical, that they need a technical co-founder no matter what. You know, well, the, some of the best talent in the world is in emerging economies where you can really, you know, collaborate with them and build uh, products very quickly and efficiently, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, you don't need a full-time technical co-founder to do that. The, you know, I, I would say that even if you are getting a co-founder, try to delay discussions on equity and all that till you actually work together and launch something and build something, right? Um, and no, no matter what the discussions are, make, put them on a vesting schedule. So over time, if interests change, which they naturally will, or personalities conflict, which they naturally will, there is an easier path there to exit without having committed a lot of equity for early on, right? Equity should be for only those efforts that yield really long-term benefits for very long time, right? Not just for kicking off things. So be, be more thoughtful about those things. And, you know, really, if you have a product that people want, you can figure out the rest. You can incorporate a company, you can apply to an accelerator, all of those things, right? But those are not prerequisites to the core thing, which is building product that customers want. So much value and truth in the things that you're saying. Uh, it I, you know, I want the listeners to pay very close attention to that advice because that will save you a tremendous amount of time, effort, money, and remove a lot of the obstacles that slow people down or ultimately stop their product from being successful or their company from being successful. So much time and effort goes into these things. And after you've been down it, you know, once or twice, you realize 
you realize how to put those in the right order, right? In order to get you from point A to point B as quickly and efficiently as you can. So um, Nick, I could talk to you about this all day. This is super <laughs> valuable. Thank you so much for taking the time to record an episode with me and my show and help you know our listeners learn from your experience. I have two questions for you before we let you go. And the first is, you know, we mentioned a few, but are there any specific resources that you want to mention by name where folks can go and learn more about what we talked about here today or anything else that you recommend? Um, so I, you know, there are lots and lots of resources and I have a whole list of recommendation of books and I've tweeted a bunch about that as well. But I would say at the, at the heart of everything is really learning stoicism, right? Uh, we do these things because we want to achieve something and there is, uh, you know, do the labor to get the fruit mentality and all of these things. But being a stoic means you're not being affected by outcomes, right? Not being affected by things you cannot control and focusing on what you are and who, what, you know, what kind of effort you can put in and how you can be better at it every day, focusing on things that only you can control. And that is extremely critical uh, because a lot of times there is no perfect Bible to building things, right? And even if there is, it always keeps getting improved and changed every few years, at least the pace at which we are innovating right now. But if you have um, amazing focus on, you know, yourself and, you know, focus on things that you can control and have great mental health throughout this journey, you'll come out um, great one way or the other, right? Either you can just sell your company's NACWI hire to a large corporation because you have such an amazing team, or you can sell the product to a larger company and focus on building something else, or you can pivot, or whatever that is, just mental health is, is the heart of all of this. And I think... Uh, you know, any book in stoicism, uh, like Courage to be Disliked, Meditations, even I think Ryan Holiday has come up with a recent one uh, lately, is going to be great for you, right? Focusing on what you can control and just, you know, pushing yourself each and every day and, uh, you know, your factors rather than worrying about just delaying gratification till you get the perfect fruit someday, right? That leads to a lot of heartache and issues over time. Definitely. Uh, exceptionally well said. That focus on, you know, enjoying the journey, getting value out of the journey, not just focusing on the destination alone is one that is a lesson I, I wish I could, I could, I could snap my fingers and just give everyone the opportunity to learn that because it really is about the journey rather than the destination. And then that focus on the mental health aspect is so important too. That's something I struggled with earlier on when I was building companies and things like that, where I just, uh, it, it was never enough, right? It's always more, I could always work more, I could always put more hours, right? But uh, if you don't take care of yourself physically and especially mentally, to your point, then you know why are you even doing this work realistically? Because it's got to be something that you can you yourself can be healthy uh, doing that you have good balance and that you're you're in it for the long haul, right? Because right. the timing element is not something we can predict, right? Like, and we fall into it, we fall out of it. Uh, we never know when we're going to get kind of traction that we're looking for. But whatever yeah. you do, you know, to reinforce Nick what you said build it so that it's sustainable, right? Like it's not, I, I largely reject the whole like race concept. It's not a race. We're not, we're not, we're not racing. It's setting yourself up. You know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, so to speak. That's so, right. Very That's important right. element that you mentioned. Um, thank you, Nick. And then Tom. last question I have for you is uh, who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Like what's the best, best methods? Yes. If you want, uh, you know, down payment assistance, you can go to home llc or send us an email at ceo at home.llc if you just want to chat with me or understand you know my thesis or just you know talk ask me any questions you can send me an email at nick at home.llc it's nik at home.llc fantastic thank you nick thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and experience with myself and our audience 
Absolutely, Sean. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Product Launch. I hope you got value out of it. I like to feature product people on my podcast because that's who I love to help. I'm a product strategist and I can help you scale your business and grow your profit through a product. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you, email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Or visit my website at nextstep.io. That's N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.